1: welcome back to the flow track podcast flow track podcast at gmail.com i'm kevin that's a tired gordon mack on the other end of the line here gordon you've been all around the southwest how are you feeling
2: yeah have you ever driven around the southwest oh it is yeah beautiful it is beautiful oh yeah i did a i drove from phoenix to flagstaff which is a like a two-hour drive where it's just beautiful desert and then all of a sudden there's just like a shit ton of green trees because you're in Flagstaff. It's kind of weird. It's like desert, 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 then forest. And then going from Flagstaff to Vegas, it's like it's one long road and there's no one around and it's dark and you're just in the middle <laughs> of the desert. And then there's this moment where you just go over like a mini hill and then you see the giant Vegas city lit up. It is mm-hmm. very weird because it's just like darkness for four hours and then all of a sudden like a emerald city of lights it's kind of wild
1: mm. if you're driving at night
2: yeah if you're driving if you're night, driving
1: during yeah. the day just so people if they've never been to the southwest it does get light during the day out there too <laughs> so don't be confused if you go out there did you stay at the luxor again
2: no i stayed at the sahara oh how was that yeah it was i mean i just went right into my room and went to sleep <laughs> so it was great yeah <laughs> For those who don't know, I was in uh, at the West Coast Conference Championships yesterday. We have some post race interviews up on the site already. Um, Mm -hmm. BYU won both the men's and women's race. There was a surprise upset. Gonzaga men won, uh, got got second, excuse me, not won, got second in the men's race. They beat Portland. And Mm -hmm. with that, most likely Gonzaga is probably going to get selected for NCAAs, which is a big deal because Mm -hmm. believe it or not, Gonzaga has never made the meet. In their program history. They're coached by oh, Pat wow. Tyson, former roommate of Pre. I asked him about what it means for him to take this program. It took him 13 years to make it to where they are today. Uh it's a good interview. It's like a 10-minute interview on the site. I asked him about uh is, is there anything he learned from his times with Pre, uh, that he applies to this team in 2021. And he said a little tidbit that driving to the course. He said, "Pre was all about getting in the zone before a meet and then getting out of the zone once the meet was over. So he he knew how to stay focused when it mattered, but then you know let it go when it didn't matter because you gotta have that balance, right? Because you know mm-hmm. Pre was a very like kind of uh, no pressure type mindset throughout his career, but then when it came down to leading up to a race, he felt like he was there. And anyway, he said." I felt like we were kind of encompassing what pre does pre meet when they were driving to the course. They were listening to Phil Collins, uh, in the air, and the beat <laughs> dropped at the very end, right when they pulled into the course. And so he's like, he said that was the sign when like it was the perfect timing of the song to getting into the the parking lot when they were driving in the oh, morning. Wow. And he said ever since then, ever since that moment, he knew like. Today was a day. And then they ran well there. James Mawara got second uh behind Connor Mance. They had another kid, um, I forget his name, but who finished fourth? They had two guys right there with Casey Klinger and Connor Mance the entire time. And Gonzaga upset Portland and got second. And because it's no regionals, you think the committee is gonna say, All right, Gonzaga, you beat Portland, you're in. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's pretty cool. Did you ask him did you ask him what it if they do qualify? the feeling of qualifying this year versus a different year where he'd have to go through regionals. Does it feel different?
2: No, I, I didn't ask him that. And I don't think it does. He was kind of hesitant because they were the 30s. They were the first team out last year. So there was a part oh, of him really? that thought they might've made it last year. And then they had to deal mm-hmm. with the disappointment of not making it. So they're kind of, the coach is kind of like having temper. He doesn't want to s- celebrate right away because again, mm-hmm. you have no idea what a committee is going to do. Uh, but I think they know in the back of their minds, like the odds of them not taking them after they beat Portland, who's like been what top ten, like fourteen of the past fifteen years. You know, mm-hmm. like they they gotta take them. I even talked to the Portland coach, and I was like, he was like, I don't know, like is Portland is Portland gonna make the meet now? Will they take the third place team from the West Coast Conference? And the way mm-hmm. after more I thought about it, I think they will because believe it or not. Portland has a win over Oregon, even though Oregon ran a B right. team. It's a win; it's a right. count. There's no BA this time. And if Oregon's Cooper Tier, Cole Hawker all run at Pac-12s and finish well there, then Portland will look at look like a team that beat you know a top three Pac-12 team. So, I think in, in the essence, end they're going to take three teams from the West Coast Conference.
1: In essence, the whole season came down to this one meet for them. And if yeah. they finish behind Portland, would they been would they be in a position to make the meet? I mean, it basically just came down to if you guys beat Portland at West Coast Conference, you can be in the meet. If you finish behind them, you will not be in the meet.
2: Or am I oversimplifying yeah. it? No, I think it is that simple because there is nothing else for them to put on their resume. I mean, you, you could argue maybe if Gonzaga had the budget, they could fly to Florida State to do a last chance meet. But... Mm-hmm. You know, I think this was their one shot. I think um Yeah, it's a weird year. There's no prenats, no nutty comb. And yeah, I'm looking at their schedule right here.
1: There's there's the Oregon XC open, but that was women only. And then there was West Coast Conference Championships and then NCAA championships. Yeah. So that was their debut. That was it.
2: Yep. And they and they had a hell of a debut. I mean, they were <laughs> the two kanzaki guys were like with the like well, for one, the Gonzaga made like a big lead kind of early on, um, and then mm-hmm. Mance had to kind of reel him back in. And then there were there's a group of four between like 4K and 6K, and then at 6K it started breaking up a bit. But mm-hmm. it was a very impressive run for Gonzaga's top two.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, yeah, you seen, yeah, you seen
1: Girmali he, is the gentleman who finished fourth.
2: Yeah, and if apparently I was asking about him, apparently he is one of those guys who's better than we know because he just has yet to be fully healthy and has Mm -hmm. yet to really have a full 8,000-meter race on his resume, Um, that he has the talent just has yet to really put together. And this was one of his first moments of putting it together for people to see. I mean, he finished right behind Casey Klinger. He beat Mm -hmm. Brandon Garnica, who's the sub-1330 guy. I mean, Mm -hmm. it means something. So Yeah, yeah. Any other highlights from your trip? Uh, I went to Flagstaff, got a workout with the NAU men, which was pretty interesting. We'll put that up on the site maybe next week or the week after. Uh, and then the reason why I was at West Coast Conference is because we filmed two mic'd up pieces. I We put a mic on G Taylor, BYU women's coach, and Ed stone men's coach. And I followed them throughout the entire meet to kind of give the perspective of what one of the coaches View is like during a 8k or 6k, and it was kind of fun. Uh, Ed Stone gave some great sound bites, uh, <laughs> some viral moments. I feel like so when that drops, you'll be want to find those. Yeah, there was a fun moment where one of the freshmen. So they just they just got the shoot the new shoes. Like everyone's talking mm. about the shoes. So some programs are just getting them, and at this meet, only a few of the guys were wearing the new shoes. And about one the of them was like the spikes. I don't know. Like, no, I think they're, because it was like, um, because the course was really hard yeah. and flat. I think they're running in like road Nikes. Oh, so like,
1: so they're running in like vapor flies,
2: vapor flies or next. What's the, what's okay. the big, is it next percent alpha or vapor? What's number one on the list? I don't know the order.
1: Well, Kipchoge was doing the alpha flies, but not many other people running alpha flies. And then Rupp, and company was next percent and then the
2: first versus
1: yeah yeah but they're all in the same family
2: okay so one of those they're wearing some of them were wearing those uh and there was like this one the freshman had it and he was like their eighth or ninth man and it was like coming up on like 3k to go and mm-hmm. ed Stone, when he saw him come by he's like you got the magic shoes now you gotta go <laughs> you got the magic shoes <laughs> and, like just like focusing on the fact that he's wearing like the special shoes so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a good uh, video. We'll put it up and uh, kind of get a cool little perspective from BYU's um, angle. Hey BYU, there they we'll, we'll talk a little bit more after the break. But um, yeah, they, they had a better fourth this time. Elijah Armstrong was right there with Brandon Garnica, Armstrong of transfer from Port, Boise State. Uh, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about those rankings a little bit later.
1: Yeah, we'll get to that at the, at the tail end of the show. While you were gone, I was busy watching Grant Hawley break the world record in the 60-meter hurdles, 7.29. I want to say a long time coming, but really it's just basically this season coming. But he got so close so many times that you felt like this was inevitable. The clock initially showed 7.32. They tried to hand him a sign that said world record to get him to hold it up. He was shaking his head. He's pointing at the clock. And then after a long delay, eventually they – Rounded the time down to seven point two nine. So Grant Holloway gets the first world record of his career, Gordon. You've uh you've filmed workouts now with the mul- with the world record. Multiple workouts with the world record. You probably feel old watching
2: this. I like how you just said that. the phrase Grant Holloway gets his first world record of his career. Because that implies that you plan on having multiple world records. And that's what you're yes. trying to imply onto him. Yes. Which is a I, compliment. I, I've been on the record.
1: He's going to get it outdoors too. He's going to get it outdoors as well. This too. year? But
2: what?
1: That was one of my bold predictions at the beginning of the year. I'm not going to back down. But certainly – I mean if you say Grant Hawley is going to break the world record before his career ends, does that even qualify as being an out-there prediction? I don't think so. No. I mean 1280 is fast, but what did you think?
2: Uh, like I like how you said it took a long time coming. I When I watched the clip, I was like, how long was it between – him crossing the finish line and then finding out he got the world record so i had the initial it was
1: before they actually put up the time it was like four minutes four or five minutes Wow, four minutes yeah it was now he was celebrating so he, there there were three stages there was den- denial that he had it then there was celebrating because someone had told him "No, no no it's the record and then there was the confirmation of it going up on the screen and us actually seeing the time because for a while there you're like oh he broke the world record but we don't know what the time is so we thought okay he ran 730 probably because for the women's race they rounded down 200 so you thought okay 732 to 730 he tied colin jackson's mark but then we saw it on the screen as a 729 uh, which uh, you know you go under the barrier and you don't share the record with anybody so it's it's a better it's a better result even though it's only 100 faster
2: It's gotta be a I wanted to make a joke. I was like, Oh, it looks like Grant Holloway had paid the timer to like, hey, give me an extra three one hundredths of a second when I cross the finish line. That's what I was thinking at the time. Uh mm-hmm. it was weird. It's just a weird a weird way for a world record to happen is like you just normally you cross it and you see the time and you celebrate, right? And he had this weird moment of like having to wait. You said a long time coming. I was like, literally, it took a long time for him to find out that he got the world record. So I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. interesting. But yeah, I mean, Grant Holloway, man, he is freaking good. I, As much as I'm impressive, a 60-meter world record is great, and it's definitely a sign for what's to come, the real meat and potatoes is going to be when he starts running the 110 hurdles to really see how close he can get to 1280 this year Mm -hmm. or if not this year next year um Mm -hmm. like what what do you kind of take away what what is the main takeaway from impressive 60 meter dashes and 60 meter hurdles is there
1: much of a takeaway? well this is a wheelhouse event for Grant Holloway because we've seen how good he is in the flat 60 but you could also say well the guy splits 43 in a 400 in a 4x4 as well too so his wheelhouse is basically everything you look at the guy's time he beat colin jackson his pb over the high hurdles outdoors is 1291 so you think okay well at the very least grant could get down into that range this year which would be you know a, a solid improvement off of his 1298 My main takeaway was the fact that Grant Holloway essentially has a 100% approval rating amongst the track and field community because everybody on Instagram and on Twitter every athlete didn't matter what brand what college they went to what event group was like celebrating Grant Holloway it was insane he should run for for the the president of the athletes federation or something it was just it was incredible how universal it was because usually there's some people conspicuously absent from the congratulations because it's it's a rival or it's a different shoe company not Grant Holloway he cuts through all that Gordon it doesn't matter what brand you represent it doesn't matter where you went to school or what event you do uh it's it's uh it's Grant's world basically
2: were there other fellow hurdlers congratulating him
1: yeah I saw this morning well I mean he's friends with Daniel Roberts so that doesn't surprise me but I saw this morning Daniel Roberts was uh was posting about yeah no it didn't and it's probably his personality, right? It's yeah. like hard to it's hard to not like Grant Holloway and the fact that he celebrates other people's events. I mean, it was was it the last meet? Remember, he runs across the finish line and like Sam Kendricks walks into the camera and Grant Holloway starts hugging him. There's of course the great interview moment from USA's last year where Ben Blankenship and him are in the mix out at the same time and he just grabs Ben Blankenship and starts talking to him in the middle of the interview, talking about how they exchange pointers and things like that. I mean, it's just he's got an infectious personality that people, you know, respond to and and wanna be around. Back to your original question. I he, mean, he's faster than he was in college now, right? He's taking his time down a few hundreds, which is, is significant at this level. And like I said, a couple of weeks ago, he's just getting in the habit of winning and dominating. I think it was jo- John Mulkeen posted the stat. His average margin of victory this year in the hurdles is like two tenths of a second in the 60 hurdles. And his his smallest margin of victory is 0.19 over the winter. So he's just That's getting a, used to
2: yeah. beating people and beating people considerably. I mean, who I guess uh I mean like Daniel Roberts didn't run indoors this year. Mm-hmm. So there's some, like, top guys who, you know, the Russian guy didn't run. Um, Did the French dude run? Martin
1: Lagarde was entered in a couple races. But no,
2: yeah, you're right. He was just
1: on his own this season. And a lot of that was because guys just didn't choose to run. And they'll be there outdoors, of course. Yeah. But still, to run that time, it makes sense that those guys would be two tenths back because prior to Holloway, that was basically the average time. That you'd see in one of these high-level hurdle races correct you'd see seven fives and that would be enough
2: here here's a question i have i'm pro- kind of projecting this kind of reminds me a little bit of mondo i'm going to compare grant holloway to mondo let's just live in a world where grant holloway goes on to break the 110 world record mm-hmm. and wins the olympic final okay yeah so he will have one world outdoors In 2019, have the indoor and outdoor Mm -hmm. world record and win the Olympics. Mondo won 2019 outdoors, has the indoor and outdoor world record. And let's assume Mondo goes on to win the Olympics. They're both under the age of 24. Mondo even Mm -hmm. younger. When you're that successful that early, where you literally check off the four main boxes. Indoors, world record, outdoor world record. World Championship, and Olympic Championship. Yeah. When you have all that success so early, what motivates you the next 10 years of your career when you've already Mm -hmm. completed the four main things you could ever hope to complete?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, with Mono, it's not like you can jump to another event because he's bored he can't do what Ashley Eaton did that one year and just say hey I'm gonna run the 400 meter hurdle I mean he could I guess people would put him in the he's like Mono 100 <laughs> yeah, sure yeah yeah they, they'd for sure let him run but Holloway at least could experiment and tinker with other events I think you just you compete against history in terms of total amounts of gold like Grant has obviously you know people like Alan Johnson you know, Roger Kingdom, like we mentioned, Colin Jackson, he's got greats in his event that he probably wants to surpass and just beating their times isn't enough. You have to rack up the gold medals. Of course, Mondo has Sergey Bobka, who is the the bolt of pole vaulting. It's like this immortal figure who has has a, a record in the event that nobody thought would, would ever be challenged. I think that's what it is. You're just going against, you're just trying to get more medals, 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 medals. And maybe you're not as focused on marks you're just solely focused on getting ready for the world championships and the olympics
2: i i can see i mean we i know we I'm talk worried about we're going to run out
1: of things to say about him he's only 23 i feel like i've written a million grant all articles <laughs> and he's only 23 uh, you run you out of the, ways you to describe the, it.
2: the you still have the 110 world record article to write you know so you still have yeah that. i need to but I, I really think he's gonna hopefully they gotta find a way to let him be in relay pools like he's Mm -hmm. just too Mm -hmm. good to be like oh no you go you go do your hurdle and then we're gonna let the the 100 meter runners and the 400 meter runners do their thing like we need grant holloway to be given the the holloway they create an exception they call a new rule the holloway rule where you know you're just too good that you don't need to be in the event for us to choose you um and i go i guess they did pick rye benjamin um, even though he didn't run the open four to be in the four by four. So I guess technically, mm-hmm. I mean, the rule says you just have to be on the, the team USA roster, be selected for the pool. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe Holloway needs to go out there and run like a, a bunch of flat hundreds to like show like, Hey, I'm a nine, nine guy. Put me on mm-hmm. your four by one, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll do, maybe they'll do it this year with no Christian Coleman. Maybe they'll see him in
1: the four by one or the four by one? Four by four, if you had to pick
2: both. I rather see him both. Four by four would be more fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you had to pick one, both. (laughs) I'd pick one. I'll
2: pick both. Uh, Yeah.
1: Well, judging by the reception of his world record, he doesn't have to convince many people. Everybody loves Grant Holloway.
2: Do you think, though, there is a little bit of a you're an Adidas athlete, so we're not going to help you out because Team USA is Nike sponsored and all that stuff? Because it's easier to, like, give an exception to Noah Lyles because, like, well, we're not going to say no to mm-hmm. the, the actual best sprinter because he's not Nike. But when it comes to, like, would you rather take the Adidas hurdler or a 10-flat Nike guy, you might take the 10-flat Nike guy.
1: Sure. I, so. think it, I think he needs to run it at least once. With, he needs to put down at least one solid time to make them make the decision because yeah. you can't, I've, I've talked about this before, you can't just, it's just the same thing with Brazier and the, the four by four. Yeah. You can say you wanna do it all you want and you can say, oh, I'm in shape and look at this other distance. But if you're part of the group of people who selects the, the coaching staff, That's not useful to you because you probably have 20 people in your ear saying the same thing. Oh, I ran this at practice. Or hey, look how fast my my 200 meter time is or my 800 meter time. You have to run it, make it public, put yourself out there so that they pick you. That needs to be the first step in any of this. And then you can push to be included. Like if he runs nine nine, say he goes to, I, I was going to name a meet, but I have no idea what the schedule is because it's so crazy. Florida yeah, Relays. goes so run, runs Florida Relays and he runs 992. And then we get to the trials and we get through the Diamond League season. And the only people who have run faster than that are, let's say, Lyles and Bromel. Bromel. Then he, yeah, yeah he has a case. Then he has a case. It's like, okay, you can put another guy on, you can put the third person who got on, and then you can put me there as well. But all of this is, I mean, there's obviously a, a political element to it for sure, but a lot of the, a lot of times athletes want to be included just because of, hey, look at my body of work, but it's not specific to that event. And I in that sense, I empathize with the coaches who are trying to pick a team that's this deep, but I like it. I like the discussion. Anyway, let's move on. Um, you're going to unveil some of your cross-country rankings, again, updated cross-country rankings just to give people a little bit of a taste. Uh, Before we do that, though, we got this week's uh, Under Armour segment. And for this week, I talked to uh, Desmond Dunham, who is the 2019 Gordon NFHS Coach of the Year, so the high school coach of the year. Talked to him about what it's like coaching through a pandemic, some tips and tricks there, some recruiting advice. Talked to him about peaking. Uh, He's also writing a book, so a very interesting guy. Tune in Uh, right now. We'll run that interview, and then on the other side, we will. Hear your cross-country rankings. And now it's time for the Under Armour Performance Series. Under Armour, more than apparel or shoe company, they're a human performance company trying to not only make their athletes better, but everyone a better runner. In this series, we're gonna talk to several athletes, coaches and trainers on a variety of topics to help you improve as a runner from preparation, nutrition and training to competition and recovery. Very pleased to have today's guest, which is the 2019 NFHS Coach of the Year, Desmond Dunham, who currently coaches at St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C. Desmond, thank you
0: for joining me. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm, I'm excited to be here.
1: And in addition to all your coaching success, I know that you're in the process of writing a book what compelled you to want to take on that challenge
0: wow wow well i mean first of all i I feel like i've always told a ton of stories and my athletes and my students have always really appreciated it and just over the decades i mean i've just always heard uh you need to write a book you need to inspire others and and at some point i wanted to enhance my impact um, in just running and teaching world and so about six or seven years ago I got this bright idea (laughs) that I would write a book and so um, this was the perfect time during uh, uh, COVID and and quarantining having a little extra time on my hands. Um, I'm glutton for for, for punishment and um, I'm about 59,000 words in and so I'm I'm excited. Um, It's a coming of age uh, uh, story. It's a memoir. And it also tells another story about the uh, pinnacle moment of coaching the Eleanor Roosevelt, the Lady Raiders, to uh, two pin relay uh, uh, titles in, in the same pin relay carnival in the 4 by 4 and the 4 by 800 meter relay.
1: Mm-hmm. Matt, congrats on making it that far. That's, uh, mm-hmm. that's quite an accomplishment, 59,000 words. So for yeah. this segment, we wanted to open it up to our friends over at Mile Split, who solicited some questions. For us, you obviously have a vast array of experience in the world of coaching at different levels, different events as well too. And the first one I wanted to know, Desmond, just for anybody, doesn't even matter if they're in high school, college, or just someone trying to get out the door, training during COVID amidst a time when the races are uncertain, training partners can be even more unreliable for good reason. What advice do you give folks You know, this past this past year on on training,
0: yeah, I mean, well, first and foremost, uh, I think that all of our young folks just need to be very communicative uh, with uh, parents, with their coaches, as well as counselors, if need be. I think mental health is real, and you know, if if our young folks are in a good um, um, mental state of mind, um, they are going to be able to pour more into their running, into their extracurriculars and hobbies, and so. Uh, the, the, the the biggest advice I can give is just to really try to stay um, focused on your goals and you, you want to make sure that you have your constant reminders of what your overall goals are with your running. Um, COVID does not uh, truly prevent you from thinking of those goals and dreaming of those goals and and wishing to uh, attain some of those goals. So I would just say that you want to put up constant reminders that will allow you to uh, just think about and picture yourself. It's it's the same thing I'm doing with this book. I'm thinking about the finish line and getting the results of the book. Um, And I can't say this enough that our young folks really have to make sure that you are um, posting those goals. And, And also remember that a goal without a plan is only a wish. And so you really want to make sure that um, that you put that plan together that you can see that plan on a daily basis and what's even more important is that you have an accountability partner someone that they're, they're not going to tell you what you want to hear they're going to tell you what you need to hear to 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 stay on track to go after that goal and with that accountability partner they're going to make sure that you are following you know every step of the way and the last thing i would say is just remember the times when you were the least prepared or you did not perform as 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 great as you would have liked to have performed and in thinking that um, you want to use a little bit of reverse psychology in a sense um, of using that as motivation And I think back to my high school days when I got this one ribbon from a cross-country meet and I placed like 75th. I thought I was going to be in the top 10. Somehow I was 75th place. But I hung that ribbon up next to my light switch. And in doing so, every day it reminded me of how much harder I really needed to work. And it really kept me motivated. And so you gotta just be as creative as possible, find you know, motivational videos, find people who can motivate you, communicate with your parents, your coaches, and allow them to help, you know, hold you accountable to you know a workout regimen. And that way you're getting out the door safely um, on a daily basis and you're still getting those workouts in. Mm-hmm.
1: So broadening it beyond COVID. What's the number one thing that you see athletes that you work with struggle with? What's the number one challenge that you've encountered in your in your career
0: yeah i th- I think the number one challenge i mean that's a great question, and I often have this conversation. I think the number one challenge is definitely um, where we we as a society we have really gotten away what away from what sports are really about what running is really about we put such a, a huge price tag on on place we put a huge price tag on times um if a teammate beat you or not if a competitor beat you or not and the true essence of what we do um in in, in running and as a sport it, it's you really against yourself and and that's the whole theory behind shaking hands with your competitor when your race is over, it's not because they beat you or you beat them. It's really um, the fact that you lined up against this person and this person gave you an, an opportunity to be the very best that you can be in that given moment. If they're pushing you to your ultimate limits. And I think we've gotten away from um, just really believing in and trusting the process and enjoying the journey of. The freedom of running each and every day um, i i we 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 just really um have to think um about how blessed we are that we're able to still get out there and have the freedom of putting one step in and I know we have some restrictions now, but you know these, these days i mean we will end at some point, and it's all about you know are you challenging yourself on a daily basis, allowing your you know uh teammates to challenge you and also just being very appreciative of being a part of a team and being a part of a family. Um, we, we have just started, we have truly started to miss that boat of, of, of valuing those things that are most important.
1: we got a couple questions about peaking and how to excel at the right time, whether or not that's a state championship or in one of these postseason meets that seem to yeah. come more and more uh, popular as the years have progressed and you've, uh, you've been at it long enough. You remember the times before that yeah. when state was the end all be all, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, what, it, yeah. what What advice do you give athletes in terms of, of, of peaking?
0: Yeah, so I, what, one thing for sure is that you still often see where, one thing for sure, you still often see where there are quite a few programs where they're attempting to make each and every meet the end-all be-all. And it's really important that, you know, that there's the backwards mapping that takes place from those really important, important post-season, late-in-the-season meets. And if you are attempting to chase every trophy, you know, every, you know, first place or, or, or personal record and. Every single meet um, throughout the course of the season, it becomes very draining, and it makes it really hard to have you know a lot in the tank by the end of the season. And so, I would you know easily say that training through most of the season, where training dominates most of your season over racing, racing during the season becomes merely um, a, a, a checkpoint with your training. And not, you know, so much the competition itself. And then, you know, you want to take your foot off the gas pedal with about ten to fourteen days. Um, and I think that's super important that you start to go through this refreshing cycle. Everything is quality, and you're giving yourself ample recovery time. Um, and then, with, with that being said, you also want to just check the boxes, making sure. That um, that the attitude is right. That the emotional side is your 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 emotional tank is just like a gas tank. If that's empty, unfortunately, I don't care. Physically, if you're really prepared to to, to compete, you you're gonna still um, you're gonna fall short of those goals. And and I think that we really underestimate the the mental and emotional side of things. And so you want to make sure that those last two weeks that you know your athletes or if you're a runner, that you're not you know, drained, that you're getting adequate sleep. And you know the last piece of it is that you want to make sure that you are, are ready to execute this strategy, um, that you're doing a lot of pacing work, you're doing a lot of segmented um, uh, strategy execution. So you're putting the last pieces of the puzzle together um, to allow you to execute and feel comfortable that you've practiced that strategy um, in your practice routine over and over again, so that it becomes second nature when you are lining up for that really big race, you know, find, find the race at practice and it'll come to you when you get into those bigger moments. Mm -hmm.
1: Has it taken you years to kind of develop and tinker and figure out what works for, for different athletes, or is this a method that you've kept in place for the duration of your coaching career?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I feel like I've been really blessed in a sense of coming from a, um, a high school program and where I'm um, out of little old Gary, Indiana, um, I was very fortunate where I ran with a Foot Locker finalist and I also had another guy, he was the first African-American to win the 5K, um, for a 5K for state championships, Anthony Williams. And, um, and I was very fortunate to see how patient these guys were with their training and i and we we i i learned very early that there was something to that that if you're playing chess versus checkers um, you you're going to be a lot more prepared towards the end of the season if you get too excited too antsy you know indoors or in early outdoor meets i mean those types of things really come back to haunt you um, and I, I would definitely say that um, every time you have a major performance, it there's a cost involved for that major performance. Whether it's mental, emotional, you know, damage to your nervous system. I mean, there there's a lot of things that can really set you back that can have you empty by the end of the season. So I always like to say that playing chess versus uh, checkers is is very essential to you know peaking at the right time. And I've I've been very fortunate where I feel like um, my teams have won more championships, not because we were the best team, but because we were the most prepared team.
1: Okay, last question. And I'm sure it does not surprise you that this question got the most uh, traction from the audience out there recruiting, 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 recruiting. I'll just open it up to you. What sort of tips do you give High school athletes when it comes to the college recruiting process
0: yeah great question and uh, the, I, I think the tips I would I mean first of all just to uh, put everything on the table I mean times and distances are important um, that's what makes it pretty easy about our sport but there is a few other things that you know definitely weighs in and I mean one hundred percent your your academic transcript um, is going to carry a lot of weight but um But with that being said, it's also really important that you have the resume, that you also have the character that college coaches are looking for. I mean, this is their job on the line and they want someone that they can trust. They want someone that they can count on. And so, you know, just just a few things is, you know, they they wanna make sure that they are getting someone that's going to be coachable, um, someone who doesn't have the, potential to become a party animal, um, someone who has, you know, clean social media pages, um, you know, all those things, you know, college coaches are really going to, you know, comb through to see what type of person you are. And you want to be able to sell yourself and convey that you're going to be a coachable athlete, that you're going to uh, be a team player, that you're going to help you know push the the team's mission forward and college coaches really give i mean it's really easy for me to to sell a kid to a college coach when i can speak to their character when i can speak to their leadership and them being an ultimate team player and um mm-hmm. so i think that really kind of flies under under the radar but um if you can convey that to a college coach um they they a lot of times they're going to find um a roster spot for you or they're going to have at least some really strong interests in knowing that you're going to help to build their program in the right direction and help to build the culture that they're looking to to establish
1: what question do you hear most about recruiting from your athletes is there a common thread that has popped up throughout the years
0: Hmm, that's, that's let me think on that for a second um I would say that- m- most times it's along the same lines of your your initial question you know what what do you think that uh, a college coach would look for in me and and I think that you know it goes back to that response that they're you know having the times and the distances are very- are super important but they are also looking for that well-rounded you know student athlete who um, who who has a sense of independency um, because you also have situations where uh, you have athletes that are still really tied back to their parents having a say in their training um, uh, having you know former youth coaches or even high school coaches that has the ability to tamper. And so I would say that, you know, independent, having that independent um, student athlete who who's flexible, who can, you know, show that they can start over in a new program and have an open mind to trust the new coach. Um, th- those are definitely words that I leave my athletes with, where I mm-hmm. cut the cord and it's time for them to mm-hmm you know, trust and and and, and to um, really be fully engulfed into that next program and giving them a fair sh- shot at developing that brother or sisterhood that's necessary to um, to excel at the next level.
1: Desmond Dunham, the 2019 NFHS Coach of the Year. Thank you so much for your time and your insight and joining us on today's Under Armour Performance Series. We
0: appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate you guys having me. And we are back.
1: Gordon, are you ready to unveil the latest
2: cross-country rankings? I'm going to attempt to do something. Here we go. Let's see if this Uh, uh is Uh going to be good or bad for everyone. That was my drum roll on the mic. I don't know if that hurt your ears (laughs) while listening to the podcast. That was it. That was my drum roll. Uh, All right. So, what do we want to talk about? Are we talking about individually or are we talking about teams? What's changed? That's what I want to know. Well, I don't really know what's changed. changed. I don't really know what's changed because I haven't (laughs) been looking at the changes. But basically, through teams. First of all, the way way, we'll do teams. The way I do these rankings is I gather data points. Uh, just a friendly reminder, the data points that I gather, number one data point is 2019 NCA cross finish at the national championship. The second data point is 2020 slash 2021 3K and 5K marks, whether it's indoor mm-hmm. or outdoor. So basically your most recent track, best track performance. And then the third data point is 2021 regular season cross-country which would be like the Nevada meets or this the West Coast Conference Championship, Big Tens, ACC's, all that stuff. And then I weight each of those data points differently. I give more weight towards regular season cross country than I do towards 2019 cross because 2019 cross is a long time ago. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Track isn't as weighted as high because it's track. So I have a different formula to weight it differently. And then I have also a combination if you don't say you don't have a track time or you didn't qualify for NCA's. I figure out a way to take that into consideration with all that said and done. Then I have to predict who the 31 teams are going to be, which isn't set in stone because the committee is going to pick. So I have to kind of guesstimate what the committee is going to select with all that said and done. Whenever you rank, give me the teams, teams 11, give me the teams, teams 11 to 31. It's not going to be easy. So I'm only going to talk about the top 10. That's basically what I'm trying to talk about. I'm go only there, talking go. about top go. 10. Go hey
1: i want to get the people what they want to know we we've heard the disclaimer we will just we'll tell people in future editions of the rankings if you don't understand the rankings go back and listen to these other podcasts where gordon explains the rankings let's go 10 to 1. i want to hear them
2: okay you have new mexico
1: women 15th probably
2: is that correct you know what i i don't want to i don't want to do 10 to 1 because 10 to 1 might not be accurate i'm gonna readjust it after this podcast so i'm gonna do five to one okay five to one on the men Men's side, five is going to be Notre Dame. Okay. I have them scoring 254 points. Four, I have Wisconsin scoring 213 points. Three, Arkansas scoring 181 points. Two, BYU, 175. And then in one, NAU with 70. So I have a 105-point lead for NAU. Um okay. Seems big. Take what you want with that. I mean, basically that's because even though BYU's Elijah Armstrong ran a better race to to kind of be in that four or five spot for BYU. When you look at the all races are different. So just because you finish the number four man in a in a, a race doesn't mean all of a sudden you're gonna be the number four man at a national meet. Different combination, but Blaze Farrow ran really well uh at the Nevada meet. Uh, this past weekend, which yeah. really solidifies NAU's top four, there's a mm. strong chance NAU will put the top four in the top 25, which would be game over. Uh, Blaze is running out of his mind right now. I did an interview with him while I was in Flagstaff. It's the first time his in his five year career at NAU that he's had like three consecutive weeks of 80 miles, and like mm. and three consecutive weeks of doing every workout with the team. Mm-hmm. like he's never been this healthy in his entire life and it, even when he was like half healthy he finished yeah. like what top 30 he was not that healthy yeah. last year and he finished top 60 but a healthy blaze you have to think could be a top 20 and if their fourth man is top 20 game over so obviously not much change i think the big difference here is what will arkansas be again i'm ranking them as if they're gonna be Doing everything they can be doing, but yeah. I haven't really figured out a way to take into account people who are tired from indoors. I might <laughs> figure that out once I know the actual start list of indoors. But until the then, I'm going to just pretend. Algorithm. Yeah, the fatigue room. Like I have Oregon finishing in the top 10. Like I have Cooper Tier being the fourth best runner in the nation. I mean, he earns that, yeah. but will Cooper Tier finish fourth at nationals after doing a mile, a DMR, and a 3K? I don't know. Probably not. uh So women, not much change. Women. All right. This is this is where the race is. This is the most exciting part, I think. Check this out. I have New Mexico. Uh, I'll start at. First of all, I want to say I have NAU in the top ten, which is wild. Okay. Two years ago, we they were even All right. <laughs> well, the woman That's pretty cool. All right. I have in well, fifth place. That with 191 points, Washington. I have in Mm -hmm. fourth place with 158 points, NC State. I have in third place with 158 points, BYU. I have in second with 155 points, Stanford. And then I have in first with 153 points, New Mexico. So 153. Wait, so have one, one, three, 155, 158, 158? Yeah. Is that what you have? 153, 155. Within- five points.
1: Wow. Okay. <laughs>
2: okay. So basically, where I rank you means nothing because they're basically all tied, right? Now, yeah. here's the difference. So the team that has the best score through four is Stanford. I have them scoring mm-hmm. 57 points through four. Whereas New Mexico has the worst through four they have 110 points through four so the reason why new mexico though has the lowest scores because their fifth is so close with their top four they have no really true number one like ava cohen isn't a top 10 runner i don't think she's more like top 25 so new mexico is going to be packing up uh, but right now 153 155
1: 158 158 it's wild right yeah and i think People would say, oh, it's a weird season. Anything can happen. But this is different. This even in a traditional year, we would have no clue who's gonna win this women's race. And a lot of times you go back, you look at oh no Colorado a couple of years ago for the women, 2018 wins it all. That was a surprise but then you can go back and you can like read the tea leaves and you can say oh yeah they did good at this meet that should have been an indique we should have put more weight into this or we put too much stock in pac 12s when we shouldn't have regardless of who wins it's going to be a surprise because there's so many reasons why another team was better than them or so many reasons why they were vulnerable this year yeah it's very it's a very strange scenario we have on the women's side of things
2: yeah i agree and it's every time i go through like cross-country rankings and dive through like cross-country results i always think is the way we score cross-country meet the best way to decide who is the best team and sometimes i feel like in times where you have four teams with 150 points that the difference being a random fifth place runner who just happened to be behind a, Mm -hmm. a team's second place runner who finishes 30th. And that one position is why that team all of a sudden is not national champions. Like part of me wonders if the best way to truly decide who's the best team hear me out is to do dual meet scoring against everyone. And then whoever has the, Whoever is undefeated in That's the
1: No, it's a lot of math. Too much math for me. I, I thought you were going to say time. I thought you were going to say total time. I'm fine no, with not it because time. look, in sports, if it comes down to the wire, fluky, strange, weird things happen. As sports fans yeah. of our team, we've been on both sides of that where it goes well and sometimes the it door. goes. Or, I don't want to talk about it. don't want to talk about a <laughs> double dribble with 3.8 <laughs> seconds left for the San Antonio Spurs. I was talking more about point 4. I was I was talking more about point 4 or or Ray Allen or you know in your sense the triple bouncer uh, from Kawhi. And if you want to avoid that, if you want to avoid that fluky stuff, don't have it be close. But when it gets to be close, right? Then the Philly special yeah. all of a sudden matters. That becomes and you can say oh, that's weird. Why did the whole Super Bowl hinge on this crazy play, well, that's just what happens when things get close. so I'm fine. I mean, remember that the Oregon Michigan year where it was yeah. literally for the women it was a point i mean it was it was
2: and they were that much it was the point between uh, the two of them they were like leaning yeah. against the fifth fifth woman or just yeah. like, yeah,
1: yeah, I think that's cool. I think that's a cool part of the the sport is that there's that much uh weight placed on that, but for the women, you're right. I mean, we're gonna get so New Mexico has Mountain West which they'll win, but BYU's done for now. NC State is done for now. And Stanford and Washington will have Pac-12. Pac-12 to me is the only meet that's gonna move things one way or the other. So we're gonna enter this championship completely blind.
2: Yeah, I mean, NC State could maybe run really well in their three Ks and five Ks at conferences. That would okay. maybe move a needle, but, you know, like if they all go up to like the ACC 3K and they're all running like sub nine, then you will be like, oh, okay, maybe NC State. Yeah,
1: but would you even want that right now? Like, would Not you even either. really want, hey, they really burned, like, burned one of their really good races a couple of weeks before yeah, no. cross country. I, I I could see where coaches would be like, hey, we want to keep our powder dry for for the NCAA championships. We're almost there.
2: I yeah.
1: I'm kind of leaning new Mexico more now though, just because they're not overly dependent on one person.
2: Yeah. And and that's a that's a balanced squad. And they're and- one per I mean, Ava Cohen, while she's not gonna finish in the top ten, she's still gonna be top twenty five. So it's like their number one is maybe not a superstar, but it's still at least reliable, you know. So
1: Yeah, but you look at let's go to that last nevada meet where they had the ridiculous 16 second gap from one to five if you go like deeper into their um if you go deeper into the roster here right their their sixth was there was a little bit of a gap to their sixth and seven so there was about 30 seconds from five to six so that could be a problem but also there might be I mean, there's a chance there's somebody else there that he subs in too, that yeah shores up that gap between between five and six. So they have even more of a even more of a a, a, tight, a tight, They have an even tighter pack, is what I'm saying.
2: I I do think there's a chance that the Mountain West results could make New Mexico look really good, and therefore we might feel a separation between New Mexico and the rest. Stanford yeah, could also do another, that if they dominate Pac 12.
1: Well, if New Mexico has an, another person who's not, who wasn't in their top five in Las Vegas last time, who runs with their number two or number three, and that just strengthens the case even more of, hey, they can absorb a couple bad uh, races and they'll still be fine just because they are so deep. I almost think this is crazy to say, we could get a totally off the board champion too. I know it's weird because yeah. you're thinking but like so odds are, right, the either BYU, New Mexico, Stanford, NC State, Washington, just if you look at the numbers, statistically speaking, one of those teams is gonna have a good day and their one, two, three is gonna pan out and they're, and they're gonna and they're gonna win, that's gonna be enough to carry it. But like but not much needs to go wrong before <laughs> I like Alabama Boise State or something. In Alabama, Boise State, Arkansas, heck, NAU, <laughs> right? Like not much needs to go their way before they they could pull off just like this monumental upset, I think. Um, especially because we don't know, we hope this doesn't happen, but if health and safety protocols kick in for, for some teams and things really get shaken up. Um, but even if that wasn't an issue, as I mentioned, this year is just so so close with so many teams because you're talking about you know you're talking about a washington team i know they didn't have everybody there but you know nau boise state colorado finished ahead of them by 30 points in las vegas so they're not those teams aren't slouches those teams can compete you know they were what 15 points back of all those teams were 15 points back at stanford that's not crazy that they enter the conversation oh yeah. so, i know before the, the, i was the, narrowing the it down reason... and now i'm just expanding yeah. it
2: the main reason Washington is still up there is because they haven't run their number one runner. So
1: yeah, yeah, and and right, they should be. But but if you're that dependent on your number one runner, right? If your if your number one runner is the difference between you finishing sixth at this Las Vegas meet and you finishing fifth in the nation, that's a tough spot to be in because what if she has a bad race and yeah. and then they slide all the way back there? Before we go, I want to read an email here from uh, from Justin. He lives in North Bay, Ontario, Gordon, which is 200 miles north of Toronto. He says he understands Texas is definitely not prepared to deal with a storm like that and it caused so much damage and problems. I hope everyone can stay safe and things get fixed as soon as possible. He says it was negative 33 degrees Celsius a few days last week, where he is, which is negative 27 Fahrenheit. If you ever want to experience some more winter storms, come visit Canada in the winter. Coolest day a few years ago was negative 50 Fahrenheit says, love the show. Keep up the great work. Lincoln is missed. Don't forget to keep mentioning all the Canadian stars for the Canadian listeners. Watch out for Melissa Bishop, Aaron Brown, Anto de Grasse, Gabby Stafford, Brandon McBride, and Mohamed, just to name a few, if they can stay healthy. Hannah Green will take the third spot on the 800 U.S. team. Have a good one and get warmed up. That is Justin. I want to read that for the weather facts and also because he misses Lincoln, too.
2: Negative 50 degrees? That's like, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't that kill you if you were outside in that? I, just, I think the goal is to not go outside at that point. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I think you would die if you were outside in negative 50 for more than like 30 seconds.
1: Yeah. That's not maybe something I don't that – We had what, – what did it go to? What, it got down to eight here, seven maybe? Yeah. It
2: was cold. Yeah. I mean it wasn't you that much
1: bad. Yeah. We're going to be back tomorrow, Friday, to record. We're going to preview that Texas qualifier meet. That's taking place in Austin this weekend, and maybe Gordon will by that point reveal numbers six through ten on his rankings. I don't know. We can talk <laughs> to individuals sorry. too. You didn't tell me if Luis Carvajal is still the number one runner. You didn't tell me that, so we can reveal that tomorrow.
2: Don't yeah, or it. just go on the site later today,
1: and you'll see it. Okay, You'd, we have to build up suspense so people tune back in. <laughs> also, uh follow the podcast on YouTube. Thanks a so lot for producing. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.